It's really good to be with you this morning. My name is Glenn. Uh, if you're new here, visiting with us here today at The Rock, I'm lead pastor of the church, which means I, I get to uh, bring God's Word most Sunday mornings, which is an honor and a pleasure for me. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, which is a really good idea, uh, open them to Matthew chapter 25. We do have Bibles up front here if you'd like to borrow one. And if you don't have a Bible, you can take that home with you. That would be a gift from us to you. We'd love you to have one. We're going to be in Matthew 25. We're going to begin in verse 14 in a second, but just very quickly, we're doing this series called Desire Wisdom because nothing else matters more. We've been in it now. This is, I believe, the 10th week that we've been in this series. We have one more Sunday next week. We'll conclude this series before we go into our Advent Christmas series, which we do every year, which is awesome. Um, We decided to do this because we've Yeah, and we've learned this mainly through this whole series, that we as human beings, people who live under the sun, generation after generation, we're born into this world, and and we we go to school, we learn, we apply knowledge to our lives, and we've come to this conclusion, especially looking at God's Word, that we lack wisdom, seriously, significantly lack, lack wisdom, because we think it comes from what we learn in this world. And so we end up with human wisdom, under the sun wisdom, as Solomon called it in his great book called Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament. And, and therefore, we end up just trying different things, going down different roads, making bad decision after bad decision, rinse and repeat. It's like, well, what's going on here? And so we've been learning some amazing things. We began in Proverbs and in Ecclesiastes in the Old Testament, looking at wisdom, the, the wisdom from God, from above that comes from God and is given to Solomon, and he puts it aside, which is sad, and so do we in our lives. So we've been in this. And then for the last four or five weeks, we've been moving over to the parables of Jesus. And go figure, there's an incredible relationship between the wisdom in the Old Testament in Proverbs, which is given by the Holy Spirit to Solomon to write, and the parables of Jesus. And we're going to see that again today. So read with me. I'm going to begin in verse 14 of Matthew 25, our text for today. Uh, This is an interesting parable. It's usually in your Bibles titled, The Parable of the Talents. And uh, we have an interesting title for it. If you don't have notes, by the way, uh, uh, these sheets over here, right here, you can grab one of these and you can take some notes for the message. And the message title today is, Making Every Opportunity Count. So let's read together. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also the one who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing the five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. And his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed, so I was afraid. And I went, and I hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, saying, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I, I, I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So, take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. Pray with me, would you? Father, um, we thank you for these words coming literally from the lips of Jesus. We thank you that in his heart of hearts, it's because he loves us. He loves them, his disciples who are there, who are listening to them and to these words. And he wants us to know how we can enter the kingdom. Oh, Holy Spirit, I pray as we've sung today, I pray that we would recognize that we have everything in you, our God. We need for nothing else but you. And so, Father, I just pray today, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak through me. Um, you would use the words that I've tried to cobble together to understand your word in this amazing parable. I pray that you would use it, and I pray that you would do even more with it than I'm capable of. And I pray these things in Jesus' worthy name. Amen. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, we move forward from last week when we were in Matthew 18. It's, it's now nearing the very end of His ministry, His life, actually. Uh, the previous chapter, chapter 24, uh, is, is really a, a biblical epic theologically. It's an amazing chapter uh, where Jesus basically sits down with His disciples. He's about two weeks away from being crucified on the cross, and, he, and, he's, and he's constantly telling them about the kingdom about the kingdom and the need to enter in. And now in chapter 24, he starts talking about the end of the world, the end of the age, the end of the world, and his second coming. And this is really confusing for the disciples because at this point in time, they've been listening for two and a half, almost three years, and they're like, we can't piece this together. He's talking about going to Rome and being crucified on a Roman cross. That doesn't make any sense. And then he's going to rise again on the third day. Okay, that's good news, but then he's going to leave and come again? And they're trying to figure this all out. They, 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 they don't understand. But this is exactly what he's been telling them repeatedly that he's been telling them is going to happen. And so chapters 24 and 25 make uh, up the second longest discourse or preaching time of Jesus, the longest being the Sermon on the Mount. And this one is named the Olivet Discourse because it's preached while Jesus is on another small mountain just outside of Jerusalem called the Mount of Olives. In chapter 24, Jesus gives a very prophetic and somewhat cryptic outline of what is going to happen. He begins 24 by telling his disciples as they're walking towards Jerusalem, he's pointing at the temple and he says, this temple is going to fall down and be gone and be destroyed. And they're like, what does that mean? And so they literally ask him, tell us, when will these things be 
and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? And so Jesus answers the question, but if you, again, if you look at those verses back in 24, you're going to see that there's actually more than one question asked there. They first ask, when will these things happen, the destruction of the temple? And then when will the end of the age be? Jesus answers them, but most people, they miss this. They look at 24 and they think it's all about the end of the world when Jesus comes again. It is part of it. But the first part is about the destruction of the temple that does happen 35 years after Jesus is dead, buried, resurrected, and ascended. In AD 70, the temple in Jerusalem was reduced to rubble. And so that's what Jesus is actually prophesying and letting them know about. Well, then he launches in into chapter 25, which we're in today, into a series of parables which all have exactly the same goal, and I've alluded to it already And I want to highlight for you one more time. The goal for Jesus since the beginning of His ministry is that you and I, that everyone who hears His Word will enter in to the kingdom of God, will be drawn in, enter in through forgiveness of their sins for what He will do on the cross, but will be drawn in to the kingdom of God. That's why He came. That's the whole point of His ministry. Yes, He needed to die. Yes, He needed to rise again. But all of that was to bring you home to heaven, to eternity with your heavenly Father. However, the cost of entry, we all know, is pretty high, right? (laughs) The cost of entry is extremely high. There's good news. None of us have enough to pay our way in. None of us can do enough to pay our way in. The cost would be Christ's life. That's a very high price for God to pay. And so Jesus is encouraging His disciples and us to enter in throughout all of what we've been seeing in the parables. It's all about two things, enter in and beware. Enter in and beware. Beware because not all will enter in. Not all will. So uh, that's what His parables and much of His earthly ministries, I've said, has been consistently reflecting consistently reflecting. There are those who say, and we saw this several weeks ago, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons and do amazing ministry and great crusades and campaigns in your name? And on that day, standing before Christ, that judgment day, he looks at them and says, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of iniquity. That's what he said. They do these great works. We also saw the two builders, right? Two men, two builders building homes. One builds it on the rock, on a strong foundation. The other, just on sand, just gets going and builds his house. Then the storm comes, the ultimate storm in everyone's life, not the one that we see out here today, which is bad enough, but the storm that we all face on the day that we die. One home stands because it's built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, and the other one is washed away. It's a very clear picture. It just keeps going on. There's these two ways, these two paths, right? There's the narrow gate, which few people will choose. And then there's the wide and easy road that many are on. One leads to eternal life and the other to destruction. These are Jesus' words. He just keeps going on and on saying these things to us. And now in chapter 25, he starts with three parables. We're looking at the one that's in the middle. The first one, let me read you the first words, two uh, verses of the first parable. It's found in Matthew 25, verses 1 and 2. And I'll put them on screen. It says this, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were, look at this, foolish, 
and five were wise. I mean, the parables are about wisdom. They are the quintessential words of Jesus about wisdom. It's always about contrasting too and comparisons. Narrow gate, wide road, foundations. It's always about comparisons. And so we have this comparison here of, of five who are foolish and five who are wise. Another great example. The focus of the parable of the ten virgins, look at, is about this. I'll give you it in a nutshell. It's about being ready, right? Five, as you read that parable, five of the virgins are ready. They've got the oil in their lamps is there. They're ready. They're waiting, right? The other don't have. And the conclusion of it is, is really tragic and sad. The consequence is five are welcomed in to the master's kingdom. Five are not. Five are not. And like those who said, Lord, Lord, the virgins are greatly surprised, at least five are, that they're not invited in, but they weren't ready, they weren't prepared. And finally, our parable today is bookended with a parable about sheep and goats. You might want to go home after the, today, maybe you don't, on a gray day like today, but you may want to read the parable of the sheep and the goats that follows this one, because there is no clearer parable teaching from Jesus about what happens at the end to those who receive and those who do not. So the first parable is about readiness, and as we now focus on the second, we see its focus is slightly different, although still about readiness to a certain extent. In a sense, it's about what we as Christians are to be doing, should be doing, while we're continually being ready, never letting our guard down. I mean, it would be foolish to get all dressed up and have nowhere to go, right? I mean, you get all dressed up and, and just sit around waiting. So this parable then, this one that we're looking at here this morning, is about while we are waiting expectantly for Christ to return or to die and go and be with Him, we are to be doing what He has sent us to be doing. And what is that? Working. Working. But working for or at what is the question. That's the question. So let's revisit this parable uh, verse by verse. Verses 14 and 15 say this, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. <laughs> I love that. Then he just went away. He left them to it. Now, the ESV translation, which I'm using here, uh, translates it accurately from the Greek exactly when it says, for it, which of course begs the question, for what? And I'm sure if you've been paying attention, you know that the beginning of the chapter begins with, for the kingdom of God, right? Or as Matthew often refers to it, the kingdom of heaven. So this parable is really another in the series about the kingdom. And again, for three years now, Jesus is about the kingdom, the kingdom, the kingdom. So here's the story. We have a man, he's a very wealthy man, whose wealth is, as we saw a few weeks ago, in his property. Every great and wealthy man in that day, every king in that day, had his wealth in basically two things. He had his wealth in his land and in his people, in his servants. That's where his wealth was. And this was his kingdom. So this man is going on a journey. That will take him away for a period of time. It says a long time, but it's a period of time. 
And I want you to see this. What, what, it, what the words tell us is, it's interesting in the Greek, and I don't want to get all geeky on you, but it's interesting, but it says it, it entrusts, he entrusts his property to three of his servants. One gets five talents, the next gets two, and the last one. So last week we learned what a talent is, right? A talent is not, you know, like you're a good piano player, right? Or a good speaker, or a good athlete, or a good cook, you know, like... That's what our world has actually turned talents into today, which is funny because we get the word from this parable. <laughs> but it's not about that at all. It's not what it's about. We learned last week that it's, a, it's a, a quantity of money. It's usually a weight of money, either in gold or silver. And according to this parable today, it would most likely be silver. And in this case, it's usually given to people in what are called money bags, And so picture it this way, the first man is getting, or the servant I should say, because we don't know if it's a man or a woman, the first is given five bags of silver, the other two and the other one. And the approximate value today of these bags of silver would be in the tens of thousands, maybe even hundreds of thousands of dollars that are given to them and entrusted to them. So I want to highlight those words again just so we understand this. The, The word entrust literally means this, entrust probably actually means this. I gave it away. It means give over in trust, right? In other words, it's, this is not a loan or a gift, but it is always and remains the master's possession, and he is giving over responsibility for it to his servants. Secondly, and I think this is a wonderful thing that we will come back to, he gave to each of these servants according to their ability. That's so important in this parable. But it's also very gracious of our God, never giving us opportunity to work for Him in a way that we, we can't measure up. He's always giving it according to our ability. And I want you to see that it's at various stages in our lives too. So at this point, we need to understand what the talents are not, and I've given that away a little bit. And sadly, quite frankly, I, I've researched in a lot of sermons. I've heard it before. A lot of sermons are like, you need to use your gift of singing, you know, and your gift of cooking for the, and making tea and coffee. You need to use that and baking and all those things for the furtherance of God's kingdom. And it, you know what? Okay, but it's really missing the point of this parable that he's trying to get across to us if that's all we think about. So the master dispenses his property the talents, to each servant, and away he goes. He leaves. He leaves them to look after his stuff. He has left everything in their trust, and he's now out of sight. So how do you think the servants might behave while, as they say, the cat's away? I mean, think about that. You're given tens of thousands of dollars by somebody, and they're going, see you later. And as far as you know, they're, they're gone for a while. Hey, <laughs> You know, I've always wanted to go on a trip, you know. I mean, I, I'll pay it back. I'll, just, you know, I, I'll, I'll make it back and make sure that it's all there. I mean, the temptations must be crazy. But here's what we see in verses 16 to 18. He who had received the five talents, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Foolish, wise, wise, foolish. Which one do you think? Well, let's see. It's a great parable, much to see. But first notice that the response of all three servants is immediate. That's good. That's a good thing. It's immediate. The first two acted at once, immediately. 
However, so did the servant who received the one talent. That's important to keep in mind as we conclude this parable. He did the same thing immediately. But there's a remarkable difference between the two, the first two and the third one, isn't there? I mean, you can already see it. You must see it. You've probably heard this parable before. In the case of the first two servants, look what they did. They risked the master's property, didn't they? They they traded it. They put it on the stock market. I mean, we don't know for sure what they did, but they traded it. They put it out there. They took a serious risk with the master's property. The second guy, the third guy, pardon me, or servant, didn't do anything like that at all. There was no risk. He wasn't prepared to take any risk. Actually, it was a great risk, as we will see, as you know, that he was taking. No, he didn't want to take any risks, so he just, he buries it. He puts it in the ground. So, what do we have so far in this story, in this parable? Well, two things. All of the servants were made responsible by the master for the talents they were given. And by the way, they were all servants. This is important to see this. They were all servants. The master calls them all servants. Important to see this. And here's the reason. It's because they at least thought they were. And because they thought they were, Jesus, the master, treated them as such. He treated them as servants. Secondly, we see here how they each reacted to the responsibility they were given to receive their responsibility and immediately, obediently risked their master's property so that they produced gain. And please see this, gain for the master and not for themselves. The response of the third servant is incredibly sad. And as we will learn today, it can only be summed up by acknowledging that tragically for him, this was the biggest lost opportunity in his life. In his life. So for starters, we can know this about talents. We can know this about talents according to this parable by Jesus. They are given to be risked. They are given to be given away, to be risked for the purpose of the master's kingdom. That's what we can pick up and learn so far. It's a great story, but as we've learned so far with Jesus and the parables, there's always a twist. <laughs> you think you know exactly where he's going, and, it's, and it turns a little bit. And that's the point of the parable is to get us to understand the contrast that Jesus is trying to bring to the table. And he was the master of, of using these parables. The twist is coming, and that twist often has to do with this, a day of accountability, a day of reckoning. And that's what we see in verse 19. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came, and he settled accounts with them. And so we've already read the whole story. I won't bring every verse up to Let's just do a recap briefly of what happens and highlight what's important for us to pick up and understand here today. First up is the servant who received the five talents. And I kind of read it that way when I read the, the, the thing. But it's almost like he's, he's so excited and proud of himself, isn't he? I mean, he, he, master, you know, he comes running up. You entrusted me with five talents. Look, I got you five more. Here they are, ten talents. I mean, you can... You, I sense it. I don't know. I would be pretty proud to be able to do that. I've got to be saying. And, and God's responses and Jesus' response, of course, is remarkable. 
It's remarkable. And, and here's the thing we need to see. I can cut to the chase here because for the one that got five and the one that got two, the words that Jesus gives are exactly the same. I love that. I love that because with Jesus, it's, it's not you're better than this person because you achieved that. You should have achieved that. I gave you this. And so should you. It was according to your ability. And His words are to both. And these are the words. They're famous words. And we all want to hear these words, don't we? We all do. Well done. Good and faithful servant. You have been faithful. Look, over a little, I'm now going to put you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Our, our English translation doesn't give this justice, really, this well-done bit, although I like it. I'm sure you do. You've heard it before. It's the words you do want to hear. But it, it, it really, it, it's, it's an exclamatory language. It's like, excellent! This is so excellent! Well done. Well done. It's a beautiful thing. And then look at what the Master declares to these two servants. First of all, He calls them good and faithful. You're good and you're faithful. I want to hear those words. And, and now I will give you more. Awesome. I, I get more opportunity? You're going to give me more opportunity rather than, you know, the typical human response? Oh, you want me to do more? <laughs> Enter into the joy of your master. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. These are the words we want to hear. I'm sure everyone in this room wants to hear these words. But let's look at the interaction between the master and the third servant. Verses 24 and 25 say this, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. It's tragic. Tragic. You, you can hear it in the words, can't you? In the tone, you can hear it. I'm not trying to inflect it wrongly. You can, you can hear it. It's there. Here's a, here's a man who thinks he knows his master. He thinks he knows his master. And, and the translators have done you and I a favor in this verse because they've translated it correctly by just putting one little tick in there that makes us understand exactly what the words of Jesus in response are going to be, the master in response are going to be to this, right? You can see it there. You can see it in there. And here it is. Let me show it to you. You wicked and slothful, another word for that would be lazy servant. Now look at this, because there's a question mark at the end. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed? Question mark. Then you ought to have at least invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own, at least with interest. At least with interest. With the question mark, Jesus is looking at this man, at this servant, and is saying, you think you know me? Obviously you don't. You don't know me. You don't know me at all. And it's why Jesus one day will say to this servant, if not at this moment, I never knew you. You don't know me. 
I certainly know your name, but I never knew you because you don't know me. You don't know who I am and what I'm all about. And so our parable ends with these really sobering and fateful words. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And it ends with, and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Six times in Matthew's gospel, six times in Matthew's gospel, he uses these last words. Six times. The last two times are in Matthew 24 and at the end of this chapter that we're in right now, Matthew 25. So let me just be clear here about this. Before we go to our conclusion today, this morning, until very recently, literally until the last 40 to 50 years, um, very few people who believed in life after death, who believed that there was a life after death, believed that there would be a day of reckoning and that some would fail the test. Very few people didn't believe that up until 40, 50 years ago. People 40, 50 years ago, even people who weren't Christian, who believed that there was a God, they believed that there would be a day of reckoning But today, a few theologians have learned something, have seen something different. Something different is happening. And more and more today, most non-Christians who believe in the life after death part believe this. They believe what? They believe it'll be where? What? A better place. You know, RIP, rest in peace. That's what they believe. But what is that based on besides wishful thinking? I need to ask. We need to ask. What is it? This month we celebrate the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, which is best known for the Christian doctrine of justification by faith alone in Christ alone. This doctrine is understood as the only means of entering into the eternal kingdom, into heaven, meaning there's nothing that you and I can do to save ourselves or to gain God's acceptance and approval. It's all done by Jesus. And only faith alone in Christ and His finished work on the cross in your place, in my place, for our sins will give us eternal life with God. But but sadly, and it's almost comical to a certain extent, although it's not funny, a few theologians today have noted that uh, certainly in our culture and also, frankly, creeping into the church a little bit, there's a new doctrine emerging. And they've, they've given it a name. It's called justification by death alone, (laughs) right? In other words, all you have to do to get into heaven is die. That's what people believe. It sounds silly, but many believe this. Why do I say that? Listen, ask, ask your unbelieving friends. If they hope or believe in life after death, they basically believe it will be good, that that it will be better than this life. Very few believe it could be worse. People just don't want to go there. No kidding. No kidding. So here's why thinking that way doesn't make any sense at all. Here's why it doesn't make any sense at all. We don't believe that today. In your life, in my life, in our world today, we don't believe that 
at all. We believe that in this life, criminals, those who commit offenses, who do bad things, uh, deserve to be punished. They need to be held accountable. They need to be held accountable. As well, we know that not all crimes are settled in this life. Guilty people get off and go out and commit more crimes. Surely to goodness, a moral and righteous and holy God will set the record straight one day. If not, then it would be impossible to call him good and just. So, what might be the key lessons we can take away from this very challenging parable today and apply to our lives? Well, first, I think there's a question, one last question I think we need to ask and answer, which is this. What are these talents that God gives to His servants today? What are they? They're clearly not things like playing an instrument, athletic ability, or the like. So, what are these talents then, and what are they for, do you think? Well, again, let's do a quick recap. They are given to us by our Master, by Jesus. That's the point of the parable. He wants us to see this. These talents are at no time really ours. They don't really belong to us, but are given to us in trust for us to risk so that there is gain that we can give back to Jesus. So look again at the story, and you will notice that both faithful servants produced a 100% gain on what their master had given them. And the point seems to be, it seems unsaid, but it's this, neither the talents nor the gain was ever theirs, and they knew it. Neither the talent or the gain was theirs, and they knew that. So now that should tell us a little more about what these talents are and um, what they are for, and therefore stay with me, what we are to be working at. Well, the clue is found again in the first verse of our passage, and it's the word it, or as we saw in chapter 25, verse 1, it is the kingdom. It's the kingdom. We are to be working as Christians at using our talents, those bags of money, those money bags that He gives to us for the expansion of His kingdom. That narrows it down a bit, doesn't it? It does. It's all about the expansion of the kingdom. And when Jesus uses kingdom language, and He meant this at the day when He was first called into His ministry in Matthew chapter 4, He said, He began preaching, the kingdom of God is here in me. And what he meant by that through all of his teaching is, it's here now. I'm instituting it now. I'm welcoming you into it now. It's not perfect today. It's not completed today, but it will be when I come again. And that's his picture that he always presents about it. But here's the difference. There's a big difference. In the kingdom today, the church is the vehicle, by the way. It's not the goal. The goal is the kingdom. The church is the vehicle. In the church today, in God's kingdom, people being welcomed in, there are Christian and non. One day, when, his, when, it, when He comes again and His kingdom is finalized, there will be only those who are truly saved, who will be part of His kingdom. So, I want to throw this out. I'm going to ask some more questions just to try to flesh this out. Is it possible that when we read that the Master gave each talent according to their abilities, that as His servants, He already had seen how they'd handled a previous allotment of talents, and then He knew what each one could 
handle according to their ability, right? I mean, it doesn't say that, but my question is, is it implied in the story, in the text? Think about that for a second. Because I've heard some claim in some sermons that what is meant by five, two, and one is that, you know, it was like IQ. The people who had like a very high IQ were given five talents and, and two and one. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to know that I got two and you got five. I'll tell you that right now, okay? But the other problem with that is the whole idea, if that's really what that parable is about, um, it, it's, it's basically saying that when, when you become a Christian, you're given five, someone else is given two, I'm given one, and you're stuck with that for the rest of your life until you go home to be with Jesus. Well, that doesn't make sense if He's going to give you more. Because <laughs> why would you need more talents to expand His kingdom once you're in His kingdom in heaven when things are all wound up? So, what is that saying? Well, it's saying a number of things, I think. It's saying the fellow who has two once had one, and he did really well with that one talent really, really well. And God gave him, Jesus gave him more talents. He was growing in his faith and in his service and then in the expansion of the kingdom, and Jesus gave him more talent to use to expand his kingdom. But then there's also this true about the one who failed here, isn't it? Somebody failed here. And what would that be? What happened to this man? What happened to this man? Friend, I I believe this, that this parable is telling us that every single person is at some point in their lives given the opportunity by the Lord, by God, to enter into His kingdom. And what some people will do, what many people will do is say, right, I'm going to bury that. I'm going to bury that. I mean, the best parable I can think of, we won't go into it deeply to, to help us understand that, is the parable of the soils, isn't there? You know, the, the seed, the Word of God is spread, and some falls upon the path, right? And some falls upon the, the rocky ground, the thorns, and then on good soil, right? It's a great parable, <laughs> great story about those who will receive the Word and will enter the kingdom of God and those who will not. So lastly, here's what we need to do. What we need to do is we need to see what the definition is from God's perspective of a talent. Talents defined. I'm going to give it to you in my own words, and uh, I think they're pretty close, and you can just think about these. You might want to write it down. It's this. Talents, according to the Scripture here, are spiritual opportunities. Spiritual opportunities given to all Christians, true Christians, to steward the master's property for the purpose of expanding the kingdom of God. You signed up? It's awesome. Let me give you three spiritual opportunities that I think we all have. You're going to love this. It's so repetitive with Jesus. You're going to think it's me, but it's Jesus, okay? It's very repetitive. Here are three spiritual opportunities we all have. Number one is, actually, I want to give a caveat to that before I put that up there. Be careful as we look at these, okay? Because I, I know what's going to happen. I know what used to happen to me when we look at these kind of things and preachers, pastors, you know, calling us to, to, to do more and give more and stuff like that. Be careful. As Remember this. Nothing you or I have, nothing, Christian, I'm speaking to you, is ours. We have been bought with a price. You know, the, the word in the Greek here for servant is actually the word doulos, and we don't like to translate it literally the way it says. It means slave, we don't like to translate it that way anymore because of what happened in the 
slave trade, etc. But that's what it literally means. All of our property, everything that we have, everything is His. You got to keep that in mind because if you don't, if you don't, all you're going to do is when you look at these spiritual opportunities that God is giving to you, you're going to think, oh man, this cost me something. It's costing me my money. It's costing me my time. You're a Christian. This is what you're called to. Number one, honestly, it's in the, it's in the passage. We, we're not going to avoid it. We're not going to chicken out here. It's opportunities to give, kids. Th- these are money bags. <laughs> this is literally money, right? There are opportunities for you and for I to give our money, provide according to our abilities for the furtherance of the kingdom of God. Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament, he hears from God, and God's, God's complaining to Malachi because it's near the end. Like after Malachi, God's silent for 400 years. Then the gospel of Matthew, right? Jesus comes, but he's silent. And just before, 14 verses before Matthew, God says to his people, you're robbing me. You're unfaithful, but you're also robbing me. And then he says this, put me to the test, says the Lord. Now, look, I know, I know some of you are here today, some people here today might be just saying, you know, like, goodness, I I hardly have enough to make the the rent and the food and all the rest of it. Like, really, how am I going to, how am I going to give financially? Put him to the test. Put God to the test. Put him to the test. Take a risk. That's what it is. It's a risk. And look, this is the beautiful part. Do you have five talents, two, or one? It's according to your ability. You know, these are not just, by the way, they're not just individual opportunities. We have corporate opportunities. I want to tell you something. We're meeting a little later today, some of us at the ledge to have lunch, and we're going to be dreaming and visioning out what we, what we can do, what we need to be doing as a church in 2018, but also into the future. I want to share this with you that I'm going to be, uh, I'm excited to let everyone know that one of the reasons why we're doing that is we, we had some people um, uh, uh, sacrificially give to our ministry as a church in September in, in ways that shocked us because we were falling way behind. We're, we're still there, but, but the, the gifts were, uh, I, I, can't, I can't express to you how large they were, but it allowed us corporately as a church this month to send $4,000 away. And we sent $3,000 of that money to C2C, our church planning network, that helped The Rock plant this church by paying my salary and for our family to come here for the first five years. And so we sent a small amount so that that would cover maybe the salary of a church planter for one month. That's awesome. Is that about kingdom expansion? Friends, that's what it's about. Do this with this. Do a budget every month, not just money-wise, but of everything else, your time, things you do, you give yourself to, and just ask yourself, put them on a piece of paper and put one column over here, my kingdom, God's kingdom. (laughs) It might be interesting. Try that. Secondly, opportunities to serve, right? You all have spiritual gifts. And yes, you know what? Some of you can sing, some of you can play instruments, and some of you can teach, and those are gifts, and those are for kingdom expansion. Use them. Use your gifts, but also find out what your spiritual gifts are and, and use them to expand God's kingdom. Friends, i got to tell you that uh, Janice and I have learned this the hard way over the years. <laughs> Put them to the test. Take a risk. 
Go all in with Jesus. It's amazing what will happen. Lastly, opportunities to share. Jesus said to all of His disciples in Matthew 28 when He closes up this gospel, go and make disciples who make disciples is basically what He says. Be about the expansion of My kingdom by actively discipling others in the church and actively preaching and giving the gospel to people. Some of you might say, well, Glenn, I, I can't, I don't know God's word like you. I, I don't, I, I, like I only know John 3.16. One talent, use it. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. You know, tell people what Jesus did for you, where you were, how you changed. Just tell people. Share. Kingdom expansion, those are the three things. I hope you'll take those with you today and you'll be blessed by that. Listen, friends, I want to ask you personally and as a church, corporately, let's risk everything. Let's do it. Let's, let's risk everything. Put it all on the line and make most of all the opportunities that God gives to us. Amen? <laughs> let's pray.